We take a closer look inside the Big Ten with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com. And, Tom, for a while it looked like this was the best conference in college football. Is it the best or just the conference with the most very good teams but not a great one this year? I think, you know, honestly, I don't know if it's still the best. I think it's still really good, and I think the Big Ten's biggest problem is the fact that it has just about all its best teams in the same division, which forces them to play each other. And when you're all when you have a bunch of good teams playing each other, they're going to knock each other off from time to time. And I think that's kind of just what we've seen. And it's it's strange because you know going into last weekend, you thought of you thought of Wisconsin as being the Big Ten's third you know third in line for a playoff bid. And then in the matter of a couple hours, Wisconsin went from a third in line to its last and only real hope. Timing is a big thing, and just as Ohio State had a big win at home and then had to travel to Iowa, the Hawkeyes are now coming off an emotional win at home and on the road at Wisconsin today. Can they keep the momentum going, or will that win prove to be draining for the Hawkeyes? I don't want to rule them out because, after all, this is the same team that scored 55 points against Ohio State last week, and I don't think anybody in the country saw that coming. So you, you can't – it's hard to know what Iowa's going to do these days when they're playing games like that. I just have some concerns about going on the road, not just because of the emotional letdown that's possible after such a huge win over the Buckeyes, but the fact that Iowa just hasn't been the same team on the road this year. At home, it's scoring 31 points a game. On the road, it's scoring 21 points a game. That 10-point difference is huge in the grand scheme of things. And if you look at it, they've played outside of Kinnick three times this year. Their first one was a three-point win over Iowa State, which at the time didn't look nearly as good as it does now. But their other two road trips were their other, you know, their two losses to Michigan State and to, to Northwestern. So I have some concerns about them going north to Camp Randall to face a Wisconsin team that now, you know, has a very clear picture in front of it of what it needs to do if it wants to get to the playoff. It, it sees everything. It knows it controls its destiny. And it knows that beating Iowa, a team that's now ranked by the, by the College Football Playoff Committee after last week's Ohio State game, it knows that this is a chance for to add a resume win to its resume, something that Wisconsin needs and something it's been criticized for all season long. So I expect the Badgers to come out and play well, and I think Iowa's going to give them a tough game. I don't know if they're going to pull off another upset, though. <laughs> Nathan Stanley sticking on the Hawkeyes versus four ranked opponents, 12 touchdowns, no interceptions. Why have he and the Hawkeyes played top competition so tough, especially at home? I think, you know, the atmosphere plays a part of it, obviously. Kinnick Stadium's always an electric place to play, especially when they're playing at night. That place gets, you know, it gets loud, it gets fun, it gets crazy. But I think just, too, that they're a good team, and they have a good coaching staff, and they know what they're going to do, and they, they, they approach these big games with the importance that they deserve. And I think they spend a lot of time breaking down and putting together game plans that could help slow these teams down, which we saw with Penn State when Penn State came to Kinnick and Iowa nearly knocked them off. And we saw last week when Ohio State came to town. Good players, you know, maybe not the most, you know, not your Heisman contenders, but they've got solid players who know the system, have been in the system for years, and they have good coaches who know how to use those players and put those players in the best positions to succeed, and that's what they've been doing all season long. Taking a closer look inside the Big Ten with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter, at Tom Fernelli. Wisconsin did it again last week, another big second half, but why can't they get going early? I don't know. Honestly, it's it's strange. I don't know if part of it is just that maybe Wisconsin wants to establish some kind of just wants to establish its offense in the first half where it's not about going for big scores as much as it's 
kind of starting to wear on you with its run game, which is typically what Wisconsin will do over the course of 60 minutes where they're pounding you and pounding you and pounding you. And maybe teams are just better suited to withstand it in the first half. And then the second half comes and that's when the cracks start to show and the foundation starts to, you know, slide a bit. And running backs, the running games, Jonathan Taylor, those guys really get going and they can start really popping the play action passes. So maybe that's it. Or I, just maybe the halftime speeches are amazing, and Paul Chris needs to figure <laughs> out a way to give him before the game, too. You know, the Badgers have had some great running backs, and you mentioned Jonathan Taylor just a moment ago. Did you ever see him happening so soon? No. <clears throat> no. I mean, typically Wisconsin running backs we see coming because there's always that senior or the junior who's the the prime time, the main back, and then they'll sprinkle in the kid that's a freshman or sophomore, and he'll get some carries, and you'll say, oh, man, that kid's going to be a monster in a couple of years when, when he's an upperclassman. But Taylor coming in as a freshman, he didn't really – there was no you know preview of him in previous seasons. He just showed up, and all of a sudden he's already great. So, no, I did not see this coming. I mean, I figured that Wisconsin was going to have a good running back no matter what, but I did not think that Jonathan Taylor, a freshman, was going to be able to put up the kind of numbers he's been putting up so far this season for the Badgers. Don't look now, but Northwestern has won four in a row, three straight in overtime. What would a strong finish mean for this team? And, you know, how have you viewed this season to date? It's, it did not start well, but it has the potential to finish very, very nicely. Yeah, it started really bad. I mean, they were they were two and three after the first five games. That included a, a road loss to Duke, which looked which looked okay at the time, but it slowly started to look worse as Duke has faded the rest of the season. I mean, can't really hold losses to Wisconsin and Penn State against them, but just after that, the schedule eased up. Well, not even really, because they played Iowa and Michigan State. It's just, it's kind of a Pat Fitzgerald thing where we see Northwestern a lot of the time, even when it struggles early in the year. It's not the first time they've done that, and then as the year has gone on, they've improved, and I think that's just kind of what we're seeing. We saw Clayton Thorson struggling earlier in the year, and then last year it was the same story. He struggled early and then got a groove going late in the season. We've seen it again this year, and it's happening right now. We saw Justin Jackson, who was really the foundation of that offense, the guy that they need. It wasn't anything he was doing. It was that offensive line really wasn't playing that great the first month of the season. He didn't have a lot of holes to look for to get through to get the running game going, but the offensive line has improved as the season's gone along, and therefore it's made things easier for Justin Jackson. And on defense, it's, it, we can't overstate how important it was or how difficult it was for the Wildcats to replace somebody like Anthony Walker on defense. So I think earlier in the year, we saw a bunch of guys trying to step into roles that they hadn't really been accustomed to and they were still learning. And now as the season's gone along and they've gotten more comfortable in what their jobs are, the Northwestern defense is playing better. So I think it's just one of those classic Pat Fitzgerald cases where, hey, all of a sudden the good coach gets his team coached up and playing well towards the end of the year. Maryland started the season with great optimism, but two injured quarterbacks later, it's coming off a loss to Rutgers. Is it the quarterbacks or something else that has led to this slide and disappointment lately? It's the quarterbacks, I think, mostly. I mean, there's obviously, it's not the only problem Maryland's had. No team only has one simple problem, but it's just when you lose as many quarterbacks as Maryland has lost, not just this year, but in previous years, I mean, honestly, Rich, I think one of us could probably walk on and start for the team right now if the quarterback depth chart's so torn up. But it just, it's such an important position that everything is going to trickle down because if your quarterback, if you're, if you're playing with your third, fourth, fifth string quarterback, that's obviously going to affect your offense because defenses are not going to respect your passing game. They're going to key up on the run game. So it's going to hurt that. And then that means the offense is struggling and the offense can't stay on the field to put together long sustained drives. So now your defense is back on the field all the time and it's wearing down over the course of the season. And especially this late in the year, 
when guys are already banged up because nobody's 100% at this point of the year, then you start seeing injuries on defense from your defense having to be on the field all the time and just getting worn down. So it's, it's like trickle-down economics, except, you know, it, it, it kills your football team. We take a closer look inside the Big 12 with Tom Fernelli of CBSSports.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. If the Big 12 is going to have a playoff, which it will this year, does it need to split into divisions? I don't know. You know, I've, I've come around in recent weeks to maybe no conference really needs divisions. I mean, I think if you look at it right now in the Big Ten, the divisions are what's causing the Big Ten more trouble than anything else. So you wonder if the Big Ten would be better off getting rid of divisions. And maybe, just maybe, the Big 12 has it right, where you know you play the round robin and then you, the top two teams, no matter who they are, go to the conference championship. And you see, like today, right now, Oklahoma and TCU will be playing Saturday night. And the odds are that unless some crazy stuff happens for the last three weeks of the season, they'll probably be meeting again in the Big Ten championship. So it's kind of difficult to make two teams play each other within the same month but they're if they're the top two teams in the conference and you're really going for a playoff bid wouldn't you want your best two teams getting a shot instead of maybe looking at a situation like the big 10 where it might end up being wisconsin and michigan state who's a good team but i don't know if you consider it a real playoff contender with two losses so i i think it'll change from year to year some years they'll look horrible some years they'll look like geniuses but I just wonder if in the long run, maybe not having divisions is the smarter play. Well, the conference's best hope for a spot in the playoff is with Oklahoma right now. Can they run the table? And if so, will they make it? I think if Oklahoma runs the table, you're going to have a hard time keeping it out of the top four simply because it's only lost will have been to a good Iowa State team. 11 wins over Oklahoma State. It'd probably have two wins over TCU at that point. So, And then also, obviously, from September, it has that win over Ohio State. So if Oklahoma is sitting at 12-1 and one with those wins, I don't imagine any scenario in which you could leave them out of the top four, especially because they're, in the, you know, they're at number five right now. And honestly, if Oklahoma beats TCU on Saturday night, even if Clemson beats Florida State, I wouldn't be surprised to see Oklahoma jump Clemson in the rankings when they come out on Tuesday night just as its own. So if, if they win out, I don't see a situation in which they're not at the top four at the end of the year. Well, we do have a great matchup today of great offense versus a great defense. Which one wins out in Oklahoma TCU? Uh, it's it's, it's going to be... I think it's going to be a Big 12 special. Not that it's going to be like last week's Bedlam game where it's, you know, ridiculously everybody's just running up and down the field scoring touchdowns. I think it's just going to be kind of a crazy close game, and it's really hard to know. I mean, like you said, Oklahoma has the better offense. TCU has the better defense. But it's not like Oklahoma's defense is bad. It's just it doesn't have the kind of secondary that TCU does that could limit, you know, other teams' passing games, and that could be a problem for it. But for me – what it's going to come down to in a close game, which I'm expecting for both teams, is one team has Baker Mayfield, at quarterback, and one team has Kenny Hill. And Kenny Hill has been very good, much better than I expected him to be this year for TCU. But he's kind of regressed a little bit in recent weeks. And even if he hadn't regressed, I feel like Baker Mayfield is going to win that matchup every you know nine times out of ten. So I think that I'm leaning towards Oklahoma in this one just simply based on Baker Mayfield being its quarterback. He has suddenly jumped into the front in the Heisman race, but how much would a big day today solidify his case? Uh, I, I might, it might, you know, might nearly wrap it up for him, to be honest, because the way other contenders have just kind of started to fall by the wayside in recent weeks, I think merely surviving week, because we've seen that where it's like every week, the Heisman favorites team is losing, and that guy's getting knocked down to second, third, or fourth in the running, and then somebody else steps up. And this week it's Baker Mayfield. So 
I think just simply surviving that curse of being able to stay on top for two weeks and especially doing it in a huge win over TCU, I think it would make him a clear front runner. I mean, he'd have to mess up royally to lose it at that point. He is at home tonight against TCU, but 13-0 in true road games during his career. Why has Baker Mayfield had so much success on the road? It's, I, I don't know. what it, He's got that it. You know, you know, when you talk about players today, he just has it. Baker Mayfield has it. When it's on the road, in, in tougher situations, he plays well. When they're playing top competition, he plays well. He takes his game to another level when things are a bit more difficult. And I think that's just what's made him a special player for Oklahoma. It's not just the offense that he's in because he's putting up numbers because a lot of quarterbacks would put up crazy numbers in that Oklahoma offense. It's just when he's in that situation where things really count and when you need to make a play, he has that knack for making that play every single time. We saw it last week against Oklahoma State in a game that that was that insane. But in the final minutes when it was down to crunch time, it was Baker Mayfield making the plays for Oklahoma, and it was Mason Rudolph wasn't for Oklahoma State. It just comes down to that so many times in Oklahoma games. You mentioned Kenny Hill taking some steps back as we talk with Tom Fernelli and taking a look inside the Big Twelve. Uh, you know, how does TCU get that offense going again? Just you know, defense. Its defense will lead to its offense. I always feel like TCU's offense is better when its defense is playing well. So I think that's the first start. They need to limit Oklahoma and make sure they're getting off the field and getting their offense back on the field. And then it's just, you know, Kenny Hill can't try to do too much. You've got to use the run game because you can run the ball against Oklahoma, although it's weakness on defense is it's pass defense. But use the run game, soften them up a little bit, and then take your shots through the air and don't take shots you don't need to. If it's first and ten, you don't have to force that pass. If it's second and five, you don't have to force that pass. Live to find another play, and then just make the smart pass when it's there. That's really all he needs to do. Limit turnovers and don't get too crazy. Will last week's loss to Kansas State cost Cliff Kingsbury his job? It could. I honestly wonder if Texas Tech isn't looking at itself and thinking, you know, maybe it's time to make a change, not just with its coach, but with its identity. Because the air raid that it ran under Mike Leach obviously worked. Mike Leach did a lot of great things while he was there. But as we've seen, maybe Mike Leach is just a really special coach. Maybe Mike Leach has something that a lot of other coaches don't. Maybe it's not just the system. And I wonder if going forward, if they're thinking, well, if we can't win with one of Mike Leach's old quarterbacks running that offense, maybe we need to reconsider what we're going to do on offense. So I, I I think that Kirk is, or Cliff's in trouble, but the one thing that you know isn't mentioned is with Kirby Hokut, his AD being on the college football playoff committee, maybe Kirby's a little preoccupied right now and not really worried about it. So I, I don't know, but I don't think things are looking great for Cliff right now. And I think that Texas Tech, I think he'd be benefited by a really strong finish to the season for the Red Raiders. Poor Kansas. Will anyone ever win there? Mark Mangino uh, did for a very yeah. good period. I don't think Kansas is a program in which you're ever going to see consistent success where they're having like Mark Mangino go into the Orange Bowl seasons. But I think that Kansas is a place where you can get to, you know, if, if you're not winning, competing for conference titles, you can at least compete for bowl games every year there. And I think, you know, that's the kind of ceiling it has. And I think, you know, maybe they're trying to change it because in recent months, they've announced they're putting a bunch of money into improving their football facilities. So maybe – we're just seeing, we're reaching a point now where Kansas says, you know, it's always been great at basketball, and obviously basketball is king at Kansas, but now they seem to be put, putting more effort into the football program. And as we just see with college football, 
it's not always just about caring about your football program and hiring a coach. You've got to pay. You've got to put money in to really build a successful college football program these days. And I think Kansas, for the first time, is really committing to that. So maybe this is what it's going to take. Maybe we'll see that in the future now that once they make all these improvements to the stadium, to their facilities to help get recruits and land better players, maybe that will pay off down the road. But as things are right now, it's, it's just one of the most difficult Power 5 jobs in the country, bar none.